started studying what book? Esther, the book of what? The book of Esther, that's right. And can anybody remember where on earth the book of Esther took place? Do you all remember the name of the empire? Josiah? Okay, very good. The Medo-Persian Empire. By this time in history, it's just mainly called the Persian Empire. The capital is way down here. Here's the capital of Shushan, the Bible calls it. If you look in Bible dictionaries, you'll find it as Susa. But this story is happening here in the huge, great Persian Empire. Now, we had several characters in our Bible story last time. The first one we talked about was Ahasuerus, or Xerxes, as he's called in history. You remember him? He was kind of the crazy guy, like most kings seem to have been back then. A crazy guy that was the ruler over the Persian Empire by this time. It had been a great empire, a huge empire when he came to power, but him being a little eccentric, being a little crazy, he did not know how to make friends, and he didn't know how to influence people, and so he started to lose his kingdom very quickly, his kingdom began to get weaker because he, do y'all remember what country he was trying to invade last time? Y'all remember what country? Greece. Very good, Josiah. Somebody's paying attention. He was invading the country of Greece. Well, he went in and he burned their big city of Athens. He burned the city of Athens, and, um, but, but he couldn't overcome their army. He had made the Egyptians angry at him because he went and he stole the treasures out of their big pagan temples. He took the big golden idol to Murdoch in the country of Babylon, and he had that big golden idol melted down. And so all the people that were left around that part of the world were mad at him. And so to pay for all of this, he raised taxes really high. And so before long, Ahasuerus began, his kingdom began to fall apart. Well, there was another man in our story, this man here, Mordecai. Mordecai worked, he was a Jew that worked in the palace of the king. Specifically, he worked in the gate of the king of Persia. Now, some of the Jews had gone back to the Holy Land. God had told them to go back, and so some of them went back, but a bunch of them stayed. We don't know why Ahasuerus, sorry, we don't know why Mordecai stayed, but we do know he stayed and that he had a job. Maybe they didn't let him go back because he worked at the palace. Whatever the case was, Mordecai worked for the king. And if you remember, he had a cousin, a younger cousin that he had raised like his very own daughter. Her name was Esther, that's right. And Esther had become the queen of Persia and taken the place of Vashti. Now, last time we talked about why on earth would God have a Jewish girl marry this heathen, crazy man? You remember some of the crazy stuff he did? I heard kids talk about it sometime recently. That's right. The men who built a bridge because remember the waves came and knocked it down? That's right, they had to beat the waves to get even with the waves for knocking down his bridge that he had had built. Uh, he, yeah, he got rid of her, didn't he? He was not a good king. 
So we ask the question, why would God have Esther marry this terrible, terrible man? And does anybody remember last time we saw one of the reasons why? The first reason. Remember, Mordecai overheard a plot in the gate. Two men were deciding how they were going to kill the king, but Mordecai heard their plans, and he went and told Esther, and Esther went and told the king, and they were able to get rid of these men that were trying to kill the king. So God had brought Esther here to save the king's life. Well, today we're going to see some other reasons why God made Esther the queen of Persia. But first, we have another character to introduce in the book of Esther. And this is a man, a wicked man by the name of Haman. Haman was proud. Haman thought far too high of himself. Do you ever sit and daydream about great things you might do one day? You sit and you think about what I'm going to do one day. When I grow up, I used to think when I grow up, I'm going to be a lawyer. And then I'm going to become the president of the United States. And I would think about all the great things that I was going to do. Now, the older I get, the less I daydream like that. But not Haman. He was still daydreaming, as we'll find out about next month, some of his daydreams that he, he had ideas of greatness that he was going to perform. But nonetheless, this man, Haman, was promoted by King Ahasuerus to be a great man in the kingdom. And so one of the things that was going to happen when he went out in public, all the other government officials that were lower than him, they had to bow down to honor him. Now, there's all different reasons why people talk about that they were supposed to do that. Some say it was just to honor him. There was a cult in the country of Persia that was led by this high priestess man, not a, not a God-fearing man, a very superstitious man. But he had this teaching that, that there were certain people that basically had, had a little bit of a God inside of them. Well, this, a, this Haman was very wealthy, we're going to find out. He was very powerful. And so it may have very well been that the king recognized this power that this man had, the greatness of this man. So if he was following this cult, then he would have believed that this was a great man. And so everyone should bow to him, not just out of respect, like you would bow to a king, but it would be a form of worshiping him. So it could very well have been that he was being worshiped. Whatever the reason, we don't know exactly why they were having to bow down. But whatever the reason was, this guy back here, Mordecai, didn't like the idea of bowing down to this wicked man, Haman. But before we go any further, there's one more character that we need to talk about. His name is never used in the book of Esther, yet he's there the whole time. And that final character and the most important character of the book of Esther is God. Did you know God's name is never found there? He's not talked about. There's no prophecy of Jesus being born or Jesus dying on the cross. None of these things are there. It's like, literally, he's never spoken of. But you know what? The book of Esther is all about something we call God's sovereignty. Can you say that word? God's sovereignty. Say that one more time. God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty, sovereignty means power that God has power. He has the power to control history. He has the power to control a king. He has the power when, 
well, we'll talk about that in a minute. But God has power. And even though God's name is never mentioned in the book of Esther, we find that God was working to protect his people, even though they lived in a heathen, a pagan society. Well, let's go back to Haman here. Haman had been given this great role of leadership, and everybody was supposed to bow down to him. But as I said, Mordecai refused to. He would not bow down. Well, they started trying to get him to bow down. They were telling him, this is a bad idea. Every day when he walks through the gate, you just stand there, and the rest of us bow down. He's going to notice, and Haman is not going to like it. The king is not going to like it. But Mordecai, whatever his reason was, Mordecai refused to bow down. He said, I am a Jew, and I cannot, I will not bow down. Well, day after day, they tried to convince him to bow down, and he wouldn't do it. So finally, one day, some of these men went and told Haman, said, there's this one guy, Mordecai. He refuses to bow down to you. Well, this made Haman angry. He started trying to figure out a way that he could get even with Mordecai. He thought, I want to kill him, but I don't want to just kill him. He's a Jew, and I want to kill all the Jews. So every day, he would get together all of his wise men that would gather around, and when he would start making decisions— He was apparently a very superstitious man. Superstitious means that, you know, like you believe that a rabbit's foot in your pocket is actually going to protect you. Or you believe that a horseshoe hanging over your door is actually going to bring you good luck. Those are superstitions. If you step on a crack, you will fall and break your back. Those are superstitions. I've stepped on lots of cracks and my back hasn't broken yet. That would be a superstition, right? Well, one way that he lived was by making decisions by a roll of purr. You know what a purr is? A purr was kind of like dice. Or in the Bible, in the Hebrew scriptures, it was called a lot. L-O-T. Now, in the, in the law of God, they would, they would um, there were times where they were supposed to use lots. When they went into the promised land and they were having to split up the land and decide who was going to get what property. They would line up, and then they would start rolling, basically rolling the dice. It would be like flipping a coin at a football game, right? To decide which team's going to go first. Uh Uh-huh. It could be used for gambling, yes. And apparently some countries would use it um, as a form of gambling in order to raise more tax money. And so some people think that that's what was happening here, that he was just raising taxes, but that's not actually what was happening. What was happening, if you read later in the book of Esther, you find out they were doing this rolling of the dice to decide how they were going to kill the Jews. So the Bible says for the next 12 months, they met day by day, week by week. Do you know what that means? means every day they got together and he said, okay, roll the dice, roll the dice. I want to see how we're going to kill the Jews. How are we going to kill the Jews? When are we going to kill the Jews? And they make the decision, ah, oh, 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 it's a two, it's a two. Oh no, it's a three. When I picked it up, it was three. <gasps> so the third, the third one is three. And then they would discuss what it meant. And the next day they'd come back, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to kill the Jews? How are we going to kill the Jews? And they'd roll the dice again. And they would do it over and over, day by day, month by month. 
And the Bible says in um, uh, Esther chapter 3 and verse 7 that they did this day by day. Well, finally, he had a plan. He knew exactly what they were going to do. After a year of plotting, they had devised a plan to kill the Jews. But they had one problem. You remember me telling you about the war with Greece and all of that? What were they losing? They were losing soldiers. They lost thousands of soldiers died fighting Greece. They were running out of money. And so he had to think ahead. If I go in there and give him this plan to go kill a whole group of people, he's going to say, well, we don't have the money to carry that out. So Haman said, I'll pay for it. So he goes in before the king and he says, oh, king, there's this group of people that are scattered. He doesn't tell them it's the Jews. There's this group of people that are scattered throughout your empire. They have different laws than we have, and they don't obey your laws. And, and they do things different than we do. And it is not to your benefit that you let them live. So we should really get rid of these people. So he started explaining that we need to kill these people because they're so terrible and they're going to cause so much trouble. And so I've got this plan to get rid of them, but in order to get rid of them, it's going to cost a lot of money, so let me pay for it. Now, in modern day money, okay, in the 1960s, the amount of money that he was offering to pay was $18 million to kill all the Jews. Today, I don't even know what that would be. But it would be millions of dollars. So this was an extremely wealthy man. So it's going to be maybe just like a bribe. Hey, king, I'll put all this money into your treasury. Talk about tax hike. I myself will take care of paying a whole bunch of taxes if you'll let me kill all these people. Well, the king thought about it for a minute, and he thought, sure, if it's not to my benefit, and if they're going to mess up our kingdom, and we got enough problems. He has the Egyptians mad with them. He has the Greeks mad. Yeah, all these people mad. They're running out of money. All these people are probably mad at him, too, because of all the soldiers that got killed fighting his battles. So this is a good idea. But he said, you can keep your money. I'll pay for it. And he gives him his ring. Now, the way they would do back then, people like Ahasuerus couldn't read and write. But they would wear, so they couldn't sign their names. Here, let's sit down. And so they would wear this big ring or this signet, and it would have the king's signature on it. And if he needed to sign an important paper, he would just, boom, stamp his mark of his ring. He trusted wicked Haman so much, he took his ring off of his hand. And he handed it to Haman, and he said, here, you have them draft up whatever you want them to do. You have my authority. You have my ring. You sign my name to it. And if you remember, the, the laws of the Medes and Persians, once they made a law, what would happen with it? Well, the king was being very, very foolish. But he gave his authority over to Haman. And Haman took the stamp, and they called in the king's scribes, and he told them exactly what to write down. And so they sat down, and they, they wrote it down. And then Haman took the king's ring, his signet, and boom, he marked the king's signature on it. And they made copies of it, and they spread it throughout the whole empire. Now, he told the king, he said, let's wait. Let's do this in 12 months. 
we're going to do this in 12 months. Why would they wait so long? They had like the best postal system in the world at this time. King Cyrus, who invaded Babylon, he had set up with these, these really great horsemen that could ride some really amazing horses, and they would take messages from one end of the kingdom to the other. They could get messages across the country fast. But for some reason, Haman thought we want to make sure we're prepared. Maybe he thought we want to make sure we kill all of them. Maybe he was giving them time, plenty of time to mark who all the Jews were. Whatever the case was, they sent out the message. And when the message was read in Shushan, in the capital city, not the palace, but in the city itself, when they read it, the Bible says that the, the, the whole city was confused. They couldn't understand what this rule was and why it was. Why were you going to kill all of these people? Mordecai was so upset. Mordecai ripped his clothes and he put ashes on his head and he went and he started wailing and weeping and he walked through the city praying and weeping and crying out to God to help them. Well, all the other Jews in the city of Shushan started doing the same thing. And Mordecai went and sat at the gate of the king's palace in the street in front of the gate because he couldn't go into the king's gate. He couldn't go into the palace wearing his clothes ripped like this and with the, being all dirty from the ashes on his head. He wasn't allowed in the palace. So he would just sit outside weeping and wailing and praying. Well, word got to Esther that her cousin was out, out on the gate, outside the gate, crying like this and weeping and wailing. And so she said, here, she went and got him an extra change of clothes and gave it to the special servant that was given to her, Haytak. And she told Haytak, she said, I want you to take this out to my cousin, give it to him and tell him to put on these new clothes. So he goes out with the new clothes and he tries to convince him to take it. But Mordecai said, no, no, I don't want the clothes. So he takes the clothes back to Esther and said, well, he, he doesn't want them. She said, go and ask him what is going on. Because she was already crying. She was sad, but she didn't know what was actually happening. She said, I want you to go ask him what's going on and ask him why it's happening. So Esther sends him back with this question, with these questions, I should say. And Haman, I'm sorry, and Mordecai pulled out the, the proclamation that had been read in the city of Shushan, telling that all the Jews should be killed. He showed that document to Hatak, and he said, you take this in and give it to her. And so he began to tell him the backstory, what had happened, how that he refused to bow, and, and, and the, it made um, Haman mad, and so Haman wants to get even, and so Haman's going to try to kill me and all of the Jews. You go in and tell her what has happened, and tell her that she needs to go into the king's palace, into his courtroom, and ask for help they were in big trouble. But you know what? You and I have some things in common with the Jews that were in Persia. First of all, just like the Jews had an enemy, we have an enemy. You know what our, who our enemy is? What our enemy is, I should say? Can you guess what that black screen is, represents? What do you think? Sin? Yeah? Let's read the verse up here. What's that? That's right. Satan. Satan wants us all to sin. He wants us to go to hell to live with him. Let's read this verse together. Romans 3, 23. For all have 
and come short of the glory of God. So the Jews had the enemy Haman. We have an enemy called sin and Satan. But then we also have a death sentence. All the Jews were told they had to die. Well, why do you and I have a death sentence? What does Romans 6.23 say? Let's read it together. For the wages of sin is? We deserve to be punished for our sin because we've all broken God's law. We have sinned against God. And so we deserve death. But we have a plea. Esther was supposed to go into the courtroom and beg the king to let all the Jews live. And you and I have a plea before God the Father, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. Because Hebrews 9.22, read it with me, and almost all things are by the law, purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. So Jesus had to die on the cross and shed his blood so that our sins could be forgiven. Well, how do we have our sins forgiven? Jesus died and he was buried and he rose again the third day. And what does Acts 16.31 say? Say it with me. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So God's promise is for us, even though we deserve to die, God has made a way that you and I can have eternal life and live forever with God in heaven. That was by Jesus dying on the cross and being buried and rising again the third day. And if we put our faith in him, we believe that he did that for us, we'll have eternal life. Our sins will be forgiven. Well, she got brought all of the the news, the whole story. And as she hears the story, and then it gets to the end, and Haytag tells her, Mordecai says that you need to go in. Remember, Mordecai was like her dad. So she's been in the habit of obeying her dad up to this point. But now he says, you go into the king's palace, and you ask the king to let us live. She said, don't you know the law? Mordecai knows the law. See, there was a special law that prevented the king from getting assassinated in his palace. It protected the king. And that was, you were only allowed in the inside of the palace where the king was if the king invited you there. And Esther said, I haven't been invited into his presence for the last 30 days. The punishment for going into the king's presence without an invitation was that you would be killed. Unless he took his golden scepter and reached it out to you, and if he reached it out to you, they wouldn't kill you. But if he didn't reach out that scepter, they would take you out and kill you right away. That was a terrible law. But Esther said, but it did protect the king because only a few people are going to get in there and only the people he trusts the most. But Esther said, "I, I can't go in there like that. And she thought about it and she told him, she said, I want you to pray for three days and three nights. Don't eat anything all day or all night. Three days and three nights. And me and my maids will do the same thing. We'll pray for three days and for three nights. And at the end of that, I'll dress up in my royal queen clothes and I'll go into the king's presence. But you know what? She knew she may still die. 
because she had sent word back to Mordecai about the law reminding him. And he told her, he said, if you don't go in and see the king, God will raise up someone else to save the people. But you and your whole family will die. You're still going to die. If you don't go into the king, you're going to die. And your family's going to die. And God will have to raise up somebody else. Wouldn't that be sad? God had chosen Esther to be queen. God had chosen Esther to save the Jewish people. But if she didn't have the boldness, if she didn't trust God enough, what was our memory verse? Does anybody remember it? Can you say the memory verse? Okay, that was one very good. In God have I put my trust. I will not fear what man can do unto me. If she would trust God enough, she could go into the palace. So she made the decision, we'll pray for three days and three nights. We'll fast for three days and for three nights. And at the end of that time, I'll go into the palace. And if I perish, I perish. But find out what happens to Esther next. You have to come back next month to the children's service. <laughs>